0: All right, guys, this is the debrief. David, let's download our thoughts on the episode directly after the episode. What'd you think, man? Where do you wanna what do you want to touch on first? There's so much good stuff there.
1: Oh, there's so much good stuff, but I'm gonna skip right to what I think was my favorite part of the whole entire episode, which is Bitcoin <laughs> is money for the institutions and ether is money for the people. I thought that was what? such a hot line. So good. It was so okay. hot. We're taking that, right? That's ours That's, now. Yeah, made that? by the Bankless podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, copyright, <laughs> trademark, NFT it. It's so good. It's so good because we always, I've all frequently used this line, like uh, crypto money, specifically Bitcoin and Ether, is money by the people for the people, right? It's an opt-in system. But like that, there's been this very strong delineation between who is buying Bitcoin versus who is buying Ether. Yes. And, personally i think it's cooler when many many people (laughs) you like the meat better (laughs) i like the yeah i like the money of the people better and like when artists are keeping their ether after they after they labor and then after they sell their labor for value which is denominated in ether they're keeping their ether according to what richard is saying on on on-chain data and so like the fact that many, many people are creating value in NFTs and then, and then they're laboring and toiling, which is where money comes from, is money comes from, is backed by the labor of people. And then they receive their ether and then for their labor, they're receiving ether and then they're storing their value in ether. I think that's way cooler because like there's so much more surface area off of work opportunities and labor opportunities like NFTs that uh, is going to offer more people exposure to ether than some of the few institutions out there. Like there, there are many, many institutions out there, but in, co- in contrast to how many people there are out there, there are many more people than institutions. And money is a shelling point of people, not of institutions, at least in my mind. And so that delineation I think is so cool,
0: so cool. Ethereum meme power, plus it got an upgrade. It got like a 5X upgrade this episode, it feels like. And it, what, what's really interesting, of course, is like everything, they had data, they had the receipts to back this up, on-chain data, and in particular, that NFT use case that that you mentioned where uh, NFTs are denominated in Ether. Ether is money, right? It's so bizarre to see this, right? Like, so we crypto natives, I think very much about Ether as money. Of course, it's not the only money I use, but I think very much about this. And to see an outside community start to adopt Ether as money is absolutely uh, stunning and and very bullish. There's there's also kind of I think this interplay is we've always said uh, we've often said at, at, at Bankless, um, because Bitcoin is limited in in terms of its programmability, in terms of its transactions per second on on the base layer. It really is is faced with a choice where it has to scale through crypto banks, through Bitcoin banks, like sidechains, as we might think of them, like a Coinbase or Gemini or a Binance. That's how it has to scale. I remember reading this this stunning line in uh, Safidine amous's book, The Bitcoin Standard, where toward the end, he was giving the case for Bitcoin. He's like, well, if at the end of the day, there's just a thousand banks in the world and they all settle on, on, on Bitcoin, Bitcoin is their settlement layer for Bitcoin. That's fine. That's a fine world to live in uh, rather than individuals. It could just be a a set of institutions basically settling on Bitcoin. And I read that and I was like, no, that is not a fine world to live in. That's the world we have today. That is a banked world. Great. You've created a new gold standard, but who cares? Because we haven't gone fully bankless. So um, I, I do think that there's also an element of like finance for the people versus finance for the institutions. What I've seen very much is if you look at, um, uh, institutional platforms like binance that's a new type of institution right um they are very they are almost maximalist in terms of of favoring uh bitcoin right they they very much promote bitcoin trading pairs um in addition to Bitcoin, their second favorite asset, of course, is BNB, right? The, the Binance asset, which is to be expected. Um, but uh, Ethereum is, is, is becoming, an Ether is becoming the asset of DeFi, the reserve asset of DeFi. And DeFi is the people's financial system. At least if we get it right, that's what it can become. So totally agree. Great meme. Well done, meme. Nick. I'm not sure where you got that, man, but well done. If it's from your brain- Like, thank you. You're now, you know, recruited to the Bankless Meme Army. And I, I, guess the, the thing that might've popped
1: into everyone's heads is like, you know, Ethereum is the chain for the people yet also Nick did say, it's like, well, right now Ethereum is kind of the chain for rich people. And that's people fair that, that people that can't pay vet gas fees fair. are kind of priced out of Ethereum. But the, the yep. main difference is that Ethereum is trying to solve that problem, right? Yes. And there are, and there are <laughs> valid strategies that are being implemented that do solve that problem, which is something we've hard drawn on the bankless program for, for a lot, uh, a long time now, um. But the the difference between having the solutions available to you, or just like you know throwing up your hand and be like you know fuck it, we'll do crypto banks.
0: There's a big yeah. difference
1: between those two those two uh, categories.
0: You know the other part of the conversation. This wasn't actually a topic that we thought we'd get into in this podcast, but we did get into, get into it. And I'm glad we did. Was this whole uh, multi chain vision of things, right? And to be, to be clear, I at least I don't know what you'd say, David, but I very much believe in a multi chain future. Um, I think a lot of the other chains though, won't necessarily be layer ones to the extent that Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are layer ones. They'll be almost like kind of layer twos or, um, you know, other middleware, chains, middleware chains, middleware type chains, these types of things, um, not for heavy doodle, heavy duty, monetary, uh, settlement. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays out. But, um, Nick and One Confirmation are much more, there can be many layer ones that accrue significant amounts of value. Like we're talking billions, maybe hundreds of billions worth of value. And they're actually believers in this crop of, some people have called them Ethereum killers. In fact, we've colloquially called them Ethereum killers in the past, but like things like Polkadot or um, Atoms and the Cosmos ecosystem. What was your take on all of that? By the way, they discluded smart, uh, Binance Smart Chain is mm-hmm. not being authentic from that roster, right. Right. but they said there are some authentic communities here who might have a shot at eroding away uh, Ethereum's lead. What, what was your take on on that part of the conversation?
1: Yeah. To, and, and something I said in the podcast was that, like, I believe in blockchains that have full blocks. Uh, and then and then the, the follow up conversation was, well, at one point in time, Ethereum didn't have full bo- blocks. So like the bet is that certain blockchains will fill their blocks in the future. And they believe that Polkadot could be one of those things. And that's, I totally believe that that's a possible world. Um, right now, there is so much content about Bitcoin and Ethereum just by themselves that, like, I feel fine being patient and waiting for Polkadot to prove itself or other blockchains to prove themselves because I have, there's so much content to produce about Ethereum and Bitcoin by itself, right? Uh, and so, you know, the, the things are different now and things have, uh, I think, bigger mountains to climb before they can prove themselves and I don't think Ethereum had as big of a mountain that, that it needed to climb back in 2015 and 2016 as Polkadot does now because the the, 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 uh, the threshold's higher now like the standards are higher. You need to get in, in my opinion, before I start talking about any blockchain and often Ryan you and I are criticized in, in different capacities on Twitter that we're ETH maxis or we... Just or you. Like, I'm never criticized. No <laughs> one ever has called me. <laughs> or, or we're like we don't pay attention to chains like Polka dot or or whatever, and I'm like, at some point of the day, I just have to be practical and focus my attention and energies, and I can't focus on any- anything. And then so I use full saturated blockchains as a proxy to determine what is real, right? Because you can't fake full blocks, you can't fake full blocks. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I agree. That's a useful proxy. Like another proxy I use is, have I ever done something interesting on that? Chain that I couldn't do anywhere else. Right. Like, so I wasn't a full Ethereum believer, DeFi believer until I took out my first maker CDP and that janky old, like, maker first God, initial that UI was died. so bad. It was terrible. Right. Uh, and then I kind of saw the light and I haven't had that experience with other chains. I was like, okay, this Ethereum thing, this DeFi thing can do something that Bitcoin cannot. Like, it's a 10X, it's a 100X. Uh, improvement in one narrow aspect. And I haven't had that moment yet with other chains. I've seen a lot of duplication, right? I've seen a lot of fake decentralization. Uh, it was interesting that um, that Nick's kind of bet was like, well, something really interesting could come out of Polkadot's governance scheme. Uh, and it does have some on-chain voting governance that is unique and interesting. The same way that maybe Tezos does or in a similar way, but with some differences. I've, I, I still always go back to like, Okay. But if you go in that direction, it is different. I'll grant you that, but it might not be better for establishing the monetary premium of your asset. David, we just did this introduction to bankless episode. and We talked about credible neutrality of a monetary system. If Gavin would, God bless him. If Gavin would and uh, the, the folks around him has significant amounts of, of voting power to change the 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 monetary system like how can that be a money like it, it it would almost be like um you know mark zuckerberg or like facebook mm-hmm. creates the money but mark zuckerberg has over majority right. control of the company and so he can mm-hmm. inflate that money give it to his cronies like right. to me it, it might be an interesting system for some things but but do you want a monetary policy under that okay. so that's where i get stuck the other area i get stuck david is i'm looking on coin market cap and um I see polkadot, and it had its value market cap fully diluted thirty four billion dollars. Okay, when uh, Ethereum was hanging out with its empty blocks phase, you know its market cap was five hundred million, mm. right? So like mm. these valuations at some level have to be justified much more too. And if you're you're trading at thirty four 34 billion and you've got empty blocks. That, that's harder for me to wrap my head around, or at least it's right. a different bet than I would say Bitcoin and Ether are. Well, I think yeah. the contrarian take could could be like,
1: and, and I think we could even see this in the BNB token, which the BNB token has this insane premium baked into it, and so does Polkadot, as you just said, and perhaps that's the monetary premium that people are trying to bake in, baking in future acceptance as a blockchain, right? And and this is this is largely a semantics thing, right? Monetary premium is is a subjective analysis, and when Nick was talking about how you know P- Polkadot or DOTS could be a store of value.
0: That's also a subjective analysis. Like how yeah, are people
1: it, it is, determining but you know,
0: what is a store of value? It is, but you know, what's super interesting about that, which I would not considered is they actually try to measure the store of value-ness mm-hmm. of these things on chain. So they put like ether, Bitcoin, DOTS right. and atoms in this mm-hmm. category of potential store of value competitors. And then they track the um, addresses on chain, the, the number of addresses that are holding over a hundred in value. Mm-hmm. To try to measure what you're saying is like, are these actually practically being used as value stores or not, which was interesting. It's not something I've looked at very deeply.
1: Yeah, totally. And like, that's a really great metric because it's pretty hard to fake, but it's also not that hard to fake. Like if, yeah. Binance, if Binance wants to put a ton of fake volume through Pancake Swap, which they have. They, they And then they did. And so I could imagine that it's easy for them to just like throw out a bunch of BNB into a bunch of different addresses that they control all the same private keys. Right. But like, I think CZ did a really smart business decision when he saw DeFi and he started to sweat because he knew DeFi was going to come and eat his lunch. And so he was like, well, we'll make Binance Smart Chain DeFi. Right. And then BNB will be the the, the asset. And then we saw BNB go from under $100 to almost $360. Now it's at like $240. But it's definitely got this like Binance Smart Chain premium baked into it. Call that a store of value, call that a monetary premium. I don't know, but it's got some sort of premium in there.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. You know, Binance also the BNB token itself has some other interesting properties too, right? In that it's like entitled to like, it's almost like pseudo equity. So it's entitled to a share of earnings on the Binance exchange, if you look at like Coinbase, I mean, IPO could be uh, a hundred billion or more. Right. And so it's got that, this other capital asset that um, dots don't necessarily like capital asset, cash flowing pseudo equity thing that dots don't necessarily have, nor, nor do atoms. But um, what I really appreciated from one confirmation was a lens that I like. We've had many VCs on, right? We've had Chris Breninski on crypto VCs that we respect. Um, you know, the guys from Framework, uh, really interesting venture capital company too in crypto. All authentic. Yeah, all definitely. Um, but I really liked one confirmation's lens on things, right? Which is this: this one word is authenticity. So, like, maybe in the one word for the Bankless thesis is probably. Bankless right? like that 's the word that we use it 's like maximally decentralized how, how much of this money stuff can you do without an intermediary right that 's the bankless thesis th- th- theirs wasn 't pure bankless thesis, but they did look for something that we also look for, which is authentic communities, and that 's why something like binance chain didn 't make the cut for them, but something like uh, dots and and cosmos did because there are actually some real there's real community there there's real development going on there so i appreciated this different lens on things that i've not heard elsewhere
1: yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point um and it's not exactly the same but we often use the term credible neutrality different but same you know different but same uh and and i think there's that's kind of like how I think you people make it through bear markets is like the people that only come in during the bull markets and come in for their quick buck and then leave, you know, I don't really want to call them inauthentic, but they're not here for the right or for the, for the reasons that you and I are here or for the reasons that Nick and Richard are here. They right? don't know why they're here entirely. They're, yeah, like, except for a, a making money, which is a money really go good up. reason. Money go Which is up, also yeah.
0: why we're here. Let's be clear. Right. Yeah, definitely but here for that. Not only here for that. Yeah. <laughs> is the
1: difference well i would also say like i'm I'm here for money for you know number go up and i think that the way that you maximize that is you play long-term games and the way that yep. you play long-term games is you be authentic and you well pay set. attention
0: to credible neutrality yeah well said dave we should open up uh, a fund I mean, this is, uh, you know, <laughs> we gotta be. Can we here. call it long-term games? <laughs> yeah, long-term <laughs> games. We only accepting applications from long-term people, though. That's, uh... Yeah, that's
1: exactly right.
0: <laughs> All right, so and... that you know, the other thing I was super impressed with here, which was um, kind of revolutionary, was uh, Richard's ability to manipulate on-chain data and find insights and find gems mm-hmm. like like before others do. This is to me is a Killer skill set in this new crypto DeFi economy, uh, and I guess you'd call this a a DeFi financial analyst, but it's this blend of like Wall Street kind of financial analyst skills with some some coding magic, and then some just deep community insight and know how, knowing how these these tokens are are wired up, and that combines combined together, make someone a give someone a in, an incredible edge. I think right now, if they're if they're investing for the long term, what were your thoughts on Richard's skill set here?
1: Yeah, I think Richard is a fantastic model for what is going to be an extremely lucrative category of labor or workers or just knowledge and skill sets. Right, like if you can take if you can learn how to consume data out of the Ethereum blockchain and turn that into an investment thesis and then also pair that with narrative and story and the ability to vet a founder. These are all very different skills and the crypto industry in specific uh, really values people with multiple skill sets that can be integrative. Um, but definitely, I think, starting with, at least in Richard's case, and, and, and people that will want, are interested in working with funds, starting with the ability to consume data. Because I think one of the biggest points that we made in this podcast is that Ethereum, Bitcoin, public permissionless blockchains, everyone has the same data. We all have the same data. Now the game is how well can you interpret that data? How well can you parse that data? How well, can you, uh, how well can you check one set of data versus another set of data? How do you extract meaning out of data? And meaning is inherently a subjective exercise. So now that we all have the same data, we're all on the same playing field. Now it's about interpretation right now it's about how can we extract meaning from this and this is where in the podcast which the whole entire podcast was some dance behind you know on-chain verifiable data that you can't fake and then the narrative and subjective analysis that's layered on top of that and
0: playing both of those sides i think is is how you win in this world I'm reminded of that conversation we had with Chris Berninski, it was back in maybe uh, June or July or something of, of last year, where he just talked about how, um, well, like, um, valuing equities in the early days was much more art than science, Right. Uh, And it took many years, even decades to get the the Wall Street valuation metrics that financial analysts use today. And that becomes almost the the narrative of of the market, right? How do you value a stock? Well, you kind of look at like PE ratio, you look at like all of these different valuation metrics, essentially. And what I see here, David, is like early stages of, of crypto developing that and crypto getting more serious about how it it values the fundamentals behind projects. And that to me leaves me optimistic about the future of this asset class, because like we're getting smarter about analyzing real world data and how this affects uh, asset prices. Yet at the same time, when I asked that question of Nick, I was like, so are we getting smarter? He was like, no. <laughs> so it, there's kind of a, um, you know, while well, this this process might take decades, I guess, to, to play out. And there's also as much as maybe um we might believe in these fundamental metrics, if the rest of the market doesn't care and in bull markets, they really don't care, right? Then um how much does it how much does it matter? Is the just the narrative more important? That that's the dance that you were talking about, this dance between like fundamentals and narrative. And as an investor in this space trying to figure out what matters more. And I hope it's not just fundamental, or I hope it's not just narrative over the long run. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that when you value something like uh, Chainlink versus Uniswap, you're able to um, value it like more based on what bots on Twitter, you know, tell you or what like the popular you know, narrative around the thing actually is, or the story. I hope that it comes down to more than that, but sometimes I wonder about that. What, what's your take here?
1: Yeah. I remember when I picked my fight with the green frogs, I I made some sort of uh, statement along the lines of like, If your project's community is a bunch of green, anonymous green frogs on Twitter and 4chan, like you might need to like rethink your community efforts. And there was, (laughs) that was a very polarizing statement because uh, Chris Berniski hopped into that thread and he was like, yeah, I totally agree. Like if your community is just green frogs, that's a problem because you might not have a real community. Well, it's inauthentic
0: to use the word for today, right?
1: Yeah, well I think that perhaps perhaps it's inauthentic. Um but then Eric Wall came into that conversation and he said if your community is a bunch of green frogs you fucking made it, right? Because they're <laughs> going to pump you've they're going to pump your token to the goddamn wow. moon. Yeah, right? that's that's and so It's it's weird. It's weird. Same. And so like and it goes back to like, well, I don't. Th- you, you said like you it would be bummed out if like we were only narratives uh, into the future. I don't think it's possible to be only narratives. And that's kind of go- goes back to my Bitcoin metaphor, where like Bitcoin is a ton of narrative, but it's all built on foundation. It's all built on rock solid fundamentals, right? And that is could be true for Chainlink too. Like Chainlink could have very strong fundamentals. I don't. I'm not re- well researched about Chainlink. But like the narrative the green frog side of Chainlink is just so top heavy, I think it's the bigger concern. I think that's a great uh, illustration. But illustration. Like are the, some- the narrative side is top heavy to the foundations.
0: There are some assets, right? Like the store of value asset is different than the the um the capital asset. And the store of value asset, it's like this this self-fulfilling feedback loop, this this self-fulfilling prophecy where you know the narrative gets stronger, the meme gets stronger, and then The narrative becomes more true as a result, and so the narrative gets stronger, and then it becomes more true as a result, right? Like I feel like part of the narrative is is that exact loop, right? Exactly. That good narrative people know that that loop exists. Yeah, and then and then so and then what ends up happening is that kind of like when that cycle plays out long enough and you know for enough years, then you actually get something real on the other side of that, which is like back to one of our episodes where we talked about what is the best definition of money, uh, liquidity. You get liquidity, uh, most saleable good style liquidity at the end of that virtuous cycle for for a store of value. I don't think that's necessarily true for capital assets, right? Like, um, you know, chain link. Who who decides whether more links are are created, right? It's certainly not the the fundamentals of social consensus and twenty one million cap that that Bitcoin has. That's kind of different, right? So that's why I also do think that this category separation is important when we think about, um, you know, the, the, the strength of the narrative, but like getting back to what, um, was it Eric wall said this in in your Twitter? Mm -hmm. Mm Um, I do think that there is a a divide there because in the short term narrative is always going to outperform fundamentals. Right. Right. Um, always. And especially uh, in bull markets, especially in bull markets and fundamental investors are going to feel like idiots. Totally. Um, But there's also like this wider macro play going on where that same thing is playing out in the stock market, man. Yep. Right. Like we're not the the only community having The stock market community is is scratching their heads and they're like the fundamentals, the Buffets of the world, maybe Um, the, the, the Ben Hunt's formerly of the world before he discovered this whole thing is based on narratives. They're scratching their heads thinking, you know, once we're going to revert to the mean at some point in time, and the stock market is no longer going to be based on narrative. It's going to be based on fundamentals like the old days, like it used to be. And so far that hasn't played out. Why? Maybe because we live in this era of money printing where we've got this gravitational distortion of this like super giant star that's like right. distorting all all matter um, that, that lives beside it. Maybe we can't have a f- pure fundamentals game in this type of world. I don't know. These are some of the things... I'm thinking about when I hear that. And
1: we definitely saw Dave Portnoy fast, like speed run that whole evolution where he's like, all right, well, I got Dave, Dave Portnoy, the guy the founder of Barstool Sports, like big, big sports better, big social media influencer. Sports gets canceled because of COVID. And so he needs to find a way to entertain himself and his following. And so he starts going into the stock market. And so he starts doing fundamental investments and placing his bets based on fundamentals. And then he got wrecked. And oh, really then he... that's his story? I didn't know that was his story. Well, that's that's the first half of his story. Okay. Then then he realized that the stock market is a game of narratives and oh my that God. number only goes up. And so he started buying the bankrupt stocks. He bought like, uh, he, he bought like Boeing, he bought, uh, Hertz when Hertz went bankrupt and so he went from investing in fundamentals and losing money to investing in narratives in the stock market and making a ton of money and that's why he was such a big deal during COVID was he would just be talking about like oh, you know feds printing the dollary dues the shroop bucks shroop bucks are coming into <laughs> into Hertz like this and then this is the narrative and then as soon as he started playing the narrative game he started making bank Dave Portnoy made like millions playing the narrative game and you're totally and they, they reminded of the famous line the the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay rational or whatever that solvent, is solvent solvent yeah solvent exactly and so like all the fundamental investors are like getting their convictions tested and they're going to i think get their convictions tested until they realize that until the dollar finally becomes hard money again which doesn't seem likely or the dollar just keeps on printing and then they come onto a, a bitcoin or ether standard the
0: existential question for you listener bankless for us in general is is it narratives all the way down is the question like maybe the fundamentals themselves are just another narrative that that we create um what is religion other than narrative it's humanity
1: started with narrative like the 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 reason why and I, i guess nation states are a little bit different because like I mean, the one thing that is n- totally objective in this world is human suffering. You know when you are suffering. You know when you're sad. And so, like, the nation state it's a little bit different because when they put you in jail, like, then you begin to, begin to suffer, right? And so that's the, the threat of, like, breaking the social consensus of laws uh, is very real. But, like, other than that, like, almost m- the majority of the world is completely narrative based.
0: Mm-hmm. Quickly, this has turned from crypto investing to philosophy, as some and of these debriefs tend to do. So it, we should it leave it It all goes there, back David. down to that philosophy is just narrative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Stop. All right, guys. we have to Here's a fun fact. Here's a
1: fun fact. If you no, go to Wikipedia, yes, if you go to Wikipedia and you click the first link of every single article, like go, go to some random esoteric page in Wikipedia and click the first link in the body that every single page has. And if you keep on doing that, you will always end up back at philosophy. Philosophy every single time. That's a fun fact.
0: Wow. Philosophy is at the root of everything. That's what you know. Uh, people are into physics say that physics mm-hmm. is the only hard science that all the rest kind of descend from physics. Mm-hmm. sounds like you're a philosophy maximalist, but guys, this is not a <laughs> philosophy podcast. All right. We do tend to talk about it. I think we should end the debrief there. Hope mm-hmm. you guys enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed this debrief. Thanks so much for being a premium subscriber. We appreciate you.